from the heart of Dubai, where tomorrow is being built today to the world. Welcome to the CTO Show with Mehmet. Here, we redefine technology and reimagine possibilities. With Mehmet, delve into the riveting realms of AI, cybersecurity, and digital technology. Experience the thrilling highs and lows of startups. Immerse yourself in the spirit of entrepreneurship and witness the future of business innovation being written in real time. Now, without further ado, let's tune in and explore the future. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of the CTO Show with Mehmet. Today, I'm very pleased to have with me Carwing, the CTO of Liquid Stack. Carwing, the way I like to... to do it is I keep it to my guests to introduce themselves and let us uh, to know more about themselves about and about what uh, you do. So it's good. Hi, Mehmet. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on your show. Uh, well, I'm uh, City of Liquid Stack. Um, I originally grew up in uh, Germany, actually, and I um, founded an IT consultant company back then to optimize business processes. Uh, we were serving major German companies like, for example, Lufthansa, Motorola Germany, and so on. And other than I was taking up um, a regional and global senior management role at one of the top utilities companies. And then in 2012, I've co-founded a small company virtually to do Bitcoin mining, actually. And um, we were trying to find out how to uh, cool, cool down the Bitcoin mining chips in uh, subtropical Hong Kong with uh, hot and humid summers. So um, it's such a small company. Virtually, I've put everything from uh, mechanical engineering, 3D design, cooling, obviously. Uh, piping design with pressure drop simulation, leading down to um, cutting and creeping pipes myself, and um, integration of electrical systems and electronics. So I saw very good insight into almost all technical aspects of our business. It was um, very challenging back then, uh, but uh, we pulled it off and uh, we were well worldwide with the very first company, which has um, uh, um, deployed a large scale two phase immersion coding um, technology for data set applications. And since 2012, uh, we have uh, four times consecutively um, deployed the world's largest uh, immersion holding uh, data centers with up to 120 megawatts of material. And uh, just as comparison, um, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange um, data center, for example, has a material of only 8 megawatts. So it's quite, quite large. Actually. And later, we rebranded this little step and uh, we continue to research and develop liquid solutions into um, yeah, sustainable and energy efficient high performance coding products. I don't know, our company has grown very substantially. We have employees in multiple countries since then. My role as CTO still leads an organization with um, research and um, uh, engineering teams in Asia and the uh, USA. I provide strategic direction to our teams and consult advice, of course, on technical matters where necessary. And obviously, I need to stay up to date with technology to understand where the market's moving to and um, uh, what is in demand. Mm -hmm. That's great. Great, Carwin. Uh, I really, you know, like your the the, the story and what was uh, going behind. So, um, you know, like if if you can just tell me, you know, what when exactly was the moment you realized that um, traditional data center cooling it's not working anymore? You something need to be changed. Right. Um, so maybe a little background between like um, air cooling and um, liquid cooling. It provides a little bit more um, um, understanding on, on the matter. So air cooling obviously requires air as a medium to transport heat away, but it's uh, very ineffective in transporting heat away 
our gross liquid cooling and since it's so ineffective that actually requires much more surface area uh, than a normal chip uh, could provide and um, uh, so typically you find them um, a very big and bulky heat sinks mounted on top of the um, cpus and ai sample chips right and um, some of those heat sinks they can be now almost tall as four inches or 100 millimeter it's um, a very astonishing scene some of those um, ai servers that some um, uh, up to eight of these heatsink towers mounted on top that are weighing so much and require so much space. Whereas in the actual PCB built chips is only a fraction of the volume. And back then, when we were setting up our Bitcoin mine, we were really benchmarking various cooling technologies against each other. So, for example, we have been looking at the latest and greatest of air cooling. We have been looking at, for example, DTC, data chip water cooling as well, with cold plates. As well as in single phase immersion cooling and two phase immersion cooling. And um, after benchmarking those different technologies with each other, we saw that the um, two phase immersion cooling was really um, uh, uh, the most suitable one for our technology back then. And then um, the great advantage of liquid cooling, uh, was air cooling is really the much higher thermal conductivity. Basically, is two phase immersion cooling. And, uh, so we use um, dielectric fluids which means that um, they're not conducting any electricity. And um, uh, unlike, for example, the air cooling, where you have like, one or a few heat sinks mounted on top of uh, the chips, um, power electronics are completely immersed in that liquid that provides cooling all around, and not just about focus on those areas where the heat sink has been mounted on top. So with two-phase, um, we use um, specific fluids with a very low boiling point, for example, 50 degrees Celsius. That's about half of the boiling temperature of water uh, the heat transfer with our boiling phase change from liquid to gas is so effective in transporting heat away that it could even replace some of the big bulky heat sinks with very thin copper boiling plates, uh, just a few millimeters thin. So we have built systems which were able to save as much as 90% in space uh, versus air cooling using heat sinks. So just think about how much space you could somehow save uh, if you extrapolate it to data center. And that really gave us some understanding in terms of like, um, this is very um, interesting, not potentially only for our own um, application, but also for the data center application. Mm -hmm. And Carwin, like, um, you know, from, uh, because when I was researching, so how this technology specifically addressed the problems associated with high power semiconductors? Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. I, um, Nowadays, some um, of these high-power semiconductors, um, uh, like CPUs or um, AI sensor chips, uh, they can consume uh, something like 700 watts uh, of power. Um, I'm not sure. Um, uh, maybe you still remember uh, way back then there were like CPUs that maybe 10 watts, 15 watts, 20 watts, right? So it's yeah. No comparison to what's in what's demanded as of today. So this poses immense challenges for cooling. The big bucket heat sinks are needed um, to, uh, to cool down. And um, in terms of um, these um, high-powered electronics, if you put them a lot of them together in a um, server rack, for example, then you um, uh, um, multiply basically the cooling challenges. So APC, for example, they have performed a study uh, to show that um, uh, a server rack of uh, 20 kilowatt of um, power load would need something like 2,000 cubic feet of um, air per minute. So if you could funnel um, this kind of air volume, air flow, right, through one foot, uh, foot wide, 30 centimeters, 
generally wind speeds are about 56 kilometers per hour for one single cell rate, right? And those latest AI chips, um, they are, for example, um, design recommendations for AI clusters, where they even go up to 35 kilowatt per rate. So that's um, a set of 1.75x on top of what I've just mentioned. That's really just mind-boggling um, how inefficient air quality becomes um, at such power entities. So that's really what we saw that um, with uh, liquid cooling, uh, you can save a lot of energy. And that's um, really addressing um, these kinds of thermal problems coming towards us, especially with um, AI in general, and um, generative AI especially. Yeah, actually, like you mentioned, the, um, you know, the use of energy, but I think you touched base also on the, you know, the, the space required as well, right? So, so it's not just the energy that will be consumed, it's also the, the space that is required for the traditional one. Now, a question out of mind that maybe it's a little bit uh, kind of, uh, you know, unusual question. Like, we see these cooling technologies at uh, at data centers, but have you thought to make it, because I know, for example, a lot of my friends, they like uh, gamings, and I see that they have these <laughs> very weird cooling systems. Is this something that it, it can be also be deployed uh, like for home users also as well? Yeah, it happens with the unit. I mean, uh, we have, for example, um, some uh, small systems on which we have um, uh, displayed um, as well as exhibitions. And um, indeed, we have been putting, um, uh, for example, some normal um, gaming mainboards in there with um, up to four GPUs. Um, I think even, even more, uh, five, uh, five or six GPUs. And um, they were running uh, basically um, uh, some, um, yeah, some simulation. So it is possible as well to use it at home. But then our technology is really targeted more towards some of the data center um, application, where you really have some um, uh, um, really very, very difficult um, situations um, to pull down to electronics. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you mentioned that you, you, you rely on, uh, you know, this um, technology, but you don't use water. Why this is important? Well, nowadays, um, data centers, for example, um, they have been um, uh, continuously trying to save energy, right? Mm -hmm. so in the beginning, um, they were using only, um, for example, air cooling, and then um, um, something like um, air conditioning, the um, uh, very simplified. So they're using, for example, um, uh, computer room air conditioners or computer room air handling units. And um, those, um, to, to operate those energy efficiently, um, most of them, for example, they use evaporated cooling, meaning like um, they have um, something like a water tower or they have like water spray um, uh, to make use of the evaporated cooling effect. So what it means basically like um, if, if you sweat, then um, the sweat is evaporating from the skin, providing cooling, right? And um, um, the problem with that is that um, with uh, the increased demand of cooling for so many more data centers, uh, the water consumption has increased dramatically. Last week, for example, um, some time ago, um, I think um, the uh, US NSA, uh, the National Security Agency, they wanted to set up a data center, um, I think in uh, Utah, and um, the uh, citizens of um, Utah, um, they were actually protesting against the setup of such a data center because they were concerned about um, the massive amount of water consumption such a data center would, um, would have. Um, so this really highlights um, that um, nowadays, um, there are many aspects in terms of from a sustainable operation for the data center, which doesn't only go around um, in terms of uh, producing the um, electricity consumption, but as well as, for example, as well for cooling uh, the water consumption. So we see um, a very strong push 
uh, towards um, uh, um, recognitions, for example, towards some um, greener data sets. Yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, AI a couple of times, and of course, we know it's AI and, you know, it's like the high compute environments. So for for the audience that maybe they are not that technical, but can you elaborate a little bit on the challenges that AI poses on traditional data center infrastructure? And of course, you know, why we would need or require um, your technology for cooling? Sure. Um, we've touched upon this a little bit in terms of some um, of the high power chips, and um, especially those AI chips, and um, they can have some um, uh, seven hundred watts, some some even more than that um, for one single chip. Uh, but that's just about like um, the power consumption per chip. Um, if you take a look at um, the outer packaging size, but if you look deeper into the chip itself, uh, then for example, you will see that um, actually silicon die is even much smaller. So you have um, a, a very very high heat flux. Of that large chip packaging, meaning that, for example, for um, uh, for silicon chip um, on, for example, eight square centimeters of a silicon die, you have a very very high concentrated um, of power and heat. Um, so these chips, for example, they um, they already achieve a one hundred watt per square centimeters. They're best achieve about the same heat flux as inside a nuclear reactor. And just as a fun fact, most nuclear reactors actually use two phase machine cooling. That's the most effective cooling methodology. Obviously, it has to be relied on too, right? So, and these are figures for today's AI chips, right? Like, you know, what's up available as of today? But if you look, for example, at um, the um, chip roadmaps um, coming up in the future, they have even higher heat fluxes. So, the problem of um, heat generated by um, uh, um, AI applications and similar high performance computing applications. Those issues are not going uh, to go away. They're actually becoming worse. So it's um, uh, really something where we see that there's no other choice um, to sustain the operation of um, uh, AI and HPC application that you're leading to um, using the cooling. Got it. Now, how you are seeing carrying the, I mean, where the, we are going with this? I mean, in other sense, uh, how data centers in usual, in general, must evolve to keep, you know, supporting this growing demand of low latency compute and edge AI. You know, like you touch space from from uh, cooling perspective, but also like because you have to deal with a lot of uh, maybe you know um, some of your customers who have these large data centers. So, what they should do different to keep the support for this high demand uh, that is coming because of the AI and high performance computing. In general, it's um, important for um, customers to um, keep in mind um, whether they are um, able to um, implement um, new technologies uh, to operate in you know, their data centers more um, energy efficient. Uh, so, for example, um, some time ago, we have created a um, data center study uh, with Page. Uh, that's uh, a US-based um, um, data center and architecture consulting firm. And then we have created a study of a hypothetical uh, 36 megawatt data center to compare two phase machine cooling with um, air cooling. And um, some of those key points were, for example, that um, if using two phase machine cooling, uh, we could save around 32% on the data center space and about 61% of the white space. That's actually like where the um, server is located. And um, 
this and other savings um, led to an overall saving of about 133 million US dollars, or about a third of the entire um, cost. So if um, um, data center operators, um, if they are looking into high performance and AI applications, um, I think it would be worth it to keep an open mind in terms of from a, what kind of from cool technologies and other technologies you know, could be implemented in order to make you know, their data centers a lot more efficient. Yeah. Now, question, Conway, like we started to see, I live in Dubai, and we started to see, you know, everyone, you know, because there's the COP28 coming and, you know, there's a lot of talks about sustainability. Actually, they have built one of the uh, largest data center, which is powered by uh, solar power, actually. So for, for such initiatives, how, you know, Liquid Stack can, you know, add you know, value for, you know, countries, companies who want to, to have this sustainability as part of their long-term strategy and, of course, decreasing carbon footprint and, and so on. Yeah, very interesting point. Thanks, thanks for raising that. So, obviously, um, uh, locations like um, in the UAE, uh, Dubai, right, um, uh, but as well as Hong Kong, Singapore, um, both with some um, very challenging climates, it's not going to be easy to um, operate on data centers in the future. So you see, for example, very long on the EOE figures, meaning like power usage effectiveness figures in um, countries where it's um, rather moderate in terms of climate, right? not so hot. But um, um, if you move from a two countries where you have um, a very um, a challenging climate, uh, then cooling, of course, becomes a very big challenge. And, um, Nowadays, and as you mentioned, for example, as well, on the low latency applications, um, nowadays, and you um, are not necessarily able to always have a monolithic data center only once in the country. Several countries, for example, they have a certain number of data uh, residency regulations, for example, that they um, prescribe that um, data about the citizens and should not cross borders. Or, for example, there are um, medical data. Uh, which you want to keep them at um, hospital and things like that. So what we see um, in terms of um, Trentensima, uh, that um, they are certainly um, more um, focused on localization, that um, there are um, data center and um, computer applications, which are more localized, uh, so that they can serve um, the um, local users um, much, much better. But then, as mentioned, um, you, you may run into cooling challenges and so on. And this combined with AI uh, and HPC applications in, in general really poses a different challenge. So, um, for example, most enterprises and companies, they don't operate data centers as um, their the core business. Um, not too long time ago, um, supercomputers um, were really something on um, what um, government organizations and universities have said, right? Uh, but if you have uh, read, for example, um, recent use of Tesla launching a 300 million US dollar AI supercomputer with 10,000 NVIDIA accelerator ships, it's quite obvious to see that more and more enterprise and companies are seeing the need uh, to use AI and um, computer general to stay competitive, right? So all this in combination um, uh, really um, requires the demand for, for looking into a, um, a much more sustainable way to set up data centers. And then... Um, you mentioned, for example, um, uh, data centers compete out by, by solar electricity. And um, that's um, uh, definitely um, a, a, a very great and correct um, way um, to approach this problem. But the um, solar cells are not talking as well about energy storage. 
So on daytime, it's all good, of course, and you have sufficient power for your own data center. But in nighttime, you need to find a very efficient storage unit. And even, even then, if um, you spec out, for example, the um, solar cells or whatever generated um, uh, energy generation from data center, if um, it's possible to save on the cooling side, basically free up more electricity, for example, to run instead um, more compute. You can put, for example, more AI chips in there. You can put in more CPUs in there um, in, uh, instead of spending the electricity on cooling. Then there are some uh, data center locations um, where they have, for example, um, power issues. Like, for example, in Singapore, uh, they um, have up to 7% of its entire electricity being used for data centers. That's really astonishing, right? And, um, but for those, for example, they have already um, um, had a sort of like a moratorium, meaning like no data, no, no new data centers are supposed to be built anymore. And they've changed it in the meantime to have like a power cap. So basically, like uh, that, um, data centers can only use a maximum number of um, megawatts. And uh, but there are already voices coming out in terms of like, um, what does it mean for the future growth of the data center industry in Singapore? And Singapore isn't the only example. There are other examples, like Amsterdam and other uh, places as well, and cities where they have um, similar restrictions. So efficiency is really becoming more and more important. And how uh, can you maximize uh, what's available uh, to still allow um, sufficient growth capacity uh, to, uh, to stay competitive? You know, this is really an interesting point. And as you mentioned, uh, data residency is, is one of the biggest uh, challenge. Well, it's not a challenge, like it's, it's a, you know, by regulations, data cannot leave uh, some countries, you know, especially if it's like very uh, maybe personal identification uh, data or medical records, you're, you're completely right. Um, and this is, you know, we saw the hyperscalers, you know, trying to start to, to build the data centers. Like, do you have any collaboration with these hyperscalers, you know, to provide your technology to them, Carwing, also? So because, you know, like, we, a couple of years back, I think, you know, we start to see that the, I think Microsoft were planning to build data center under the sea, you know, and uh, we, we started to see, you know, they were going to cold countries kind of to build the data centers. But as you mentioned, now I can tell you here in the Middle East, you know, we have like in the GCC, six countries. So almost in each country now we have a data, two data centers for each one of the big hyperscalers. So. Do you have any collaboration with uh, with these uh, hyperscalers, Carwin? Yeah, of course. Um, uh, like in many um, commercial aspects, um, usually we have um, uh, confidentiality agreements um, with our customers. It also applies um, uh, to, to the hyperscalers. Um, what I can say is um, uh, definitely we are having collaboration with um, hyperscalers, but um, I can't name exactly which ones. Yeah, sure. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, do, do, do you have any, um, you know, like, wh where are you spread today, like, our wing? Of course, if you can tell me, like, I mean, do you have any presence, for example, here in the East, uh, so people can go and find out about your solution? Or is it like something which is, you know, usually it's, it's, it's in the hidden part that, you know, even tech professionals, they will not see it, um, I would say, face to face, if I can't say this. That's an excellent question. So yeah, we had some actually um, uh, um, for our company size, um, uh, quite um, a good uh, geographical coverage. Um, as I mentioned, we are um, uh, 
have been a, a good presence in Asia, um, in various countries, <clears throat> as well in the US. And um, just very recently, we yeah, actually made a hire um, in the Middle East, um, just specifically to support um, the Middle Eastern sector. And um, we will actually have, um, I think, in, um, in October, half a middle of October, um, there is um, the Jitex exhibition coming up. And we'll have some exhibition before then. And of course, um, you're more than welcome uh, to visit our, our exhibition before there. And um, we'll um, be presenting our technology with a live demo on two-facing machine learning. We can really see um, the, um, the system running, operating uh, with all the bubbles while it's boiling. And I think it's um, uh, very interesting to see, and um, it's, uh, it's a very interesting market in the us, uh, on which we want to focus. Yeah, definitely. So just for the folks, you know, if, if you are in the States or in, uh, in, in Europe, so Jitex is the biggest tech event that happened here in the Middle East. Uh, it happened, it happened this year between 16th and 20th of October. My audience here in the region, they know about it. And it would be for you a chance, you know, to, to visit, uh, you know, I think you're going to have a booth covering, you said. So, you know, you can visit them and uh, learn more about the technology. Now, just, you know, a couple of final points before we close. How, you know, just from a CTO perspective, because you, you, Carwin, you are on, uh, as I was mentioning, like it's not, you know, on, on something that people sense every day. So from a CTO perspective, working on something high impact, but yet like less people knows about it. How does it feel like, and, uh, you know, and I'm asking you this question because some people sometimes they say, yeah, we want to change the world, we want to do something, but we want to be also like uh, touching the lives of people on day-to-day -day basis. But for you, actually, you are saving the people, but you are not too much on the <laughs> on the front end, I would say. So from a CTO perspective, like how do you describe this experience? It's a very interesting. <laughs> well, um. I'm, I'm not so um, uh, how to say too keen in terms of like um, that um, I have a therapy profile and stuff like that. I believe really like in, in uh, that um, doing and really uh, taking action is much more important. If something comes good, good out of that, of course, and it's uh, very much appreciated. So um, I mean, uh, they're very richly right. Um, we were sitting talking um, to do Bitcoin mining um, back then. It was really about just about um, how can we run it as profitable as possible. And then it very quickly emerged um, that, uh, especially in hot and humid uh, Hong Kong, um, it wouldn't be only possible um, if at the same time it would also be reducing our electricity consumption, especially on cooling. So um, very soon, um, I think we wanted to explore um, um, if our technology was used for the data center industry. Um, we have done some research uh, on, on the data center industry in Hong Kong, at least. And we have seen that, um, for example, there have been like um, power usage effectiveness, PME figures in Hong Kong for data centers. Um, in 2012, 2.2. So, um, uh, just for for the for the non data center industry, um, uh, our audience to explain, uh, PDR 2.2 means that um, out of the entire data center electricity market, you use only 45 uh, percent to, um, uh, to run your IT. So, just imagine you build a huge data center, right? Um, and we want to run servers, but actually you only use 45 percent of your electricity to run the servers. More than uh, fifty percent, more than half, was actually going to a facility that can power the cooling and the lights and stuff like that. And that's really like a very shocking when we saw on how much energy is actually being wasted. Of course, there's in the meantime with uh, the technology and cooling in general. 
Well, but we still see a very, very challenging problem with that. And then we've seen as well that in Hong Kong has you know, some better air quality. And um, it's actually, unfortunately, no big surprise if considering that um, about two thirds of the electricity still being generated by burning fossil fuels. This unfortunately as well applies to many countries worldwide, not only Hong Kong. So, and on top of that, then Hong Kong landfills already follows the capacity. So if we have a possibility, for example, to save on construction materials by making the data center smaller, it is well to save on cooling electricity by making the cooling technology more um, efficient. That's um, something becoming very strong motivators, um, not only to me, but to our team, but we have a much stronger focus on sustainability in general. And um, especially now with um, having a young family as well, with child, um, it changes your perspective and priorities a lot, right? So at the end, um, we'll want to leave the world in a better shape for the next generation, not worse. Yeah, just for the, also, if you allow me, Kevin, if to add something for the folks, if you are non-tech at all, uh, and I doubt that you're not, but you know, like every single application used today, it's powered by some server running somewhere, whether maybe in a telco provider or maybe in a cloud somewhere. And, you know, this, it's not only about the cost of the server and the cost of the application, as Carwin was mentioning, there's a huge things which are hidden in the background, like electricity. I was a data center technician at some stage, and I know these things very well. So you have the cooling, and you know the cooling there, guys. It's not like the AC that you have at home. <laughs> so the so the cooling system there, you need to have like proper uh, fans also for it, so to to keep the air flowing. And you have from underground something, and you have something that comes from up because. As Garvin was trying to explain, you know, the, the chips are very sensitive to heat, and especially when it's AI, they generate a lot of heat. So this is why, you know, this technology is very important. You know, don't just say, yeah, it's just cooling. It's like the AC. It's not like this. It's it's something more complicated. And, you know, we we are thankful, actually, Garvin, for, for people who put the effort, uh, like yourself, you know, and what you do with the liquid stack to make the world a better place where we can have you know, less emissions, uh, less carbon footprint, which is, you know, really something, as you mentioned, especially when you have kids and children, you start to think about how we can leave this. Uh, I really appreciate it, you know, all the uh, valuable information. Is there anything, Carwing, that you wished I had asked you? Did I miss anything you want to, to just add or, or say before we close? I think you pretty much touched on every single point, which was important. So it's... um. Uh, just uh, to, to add on what you just mentioned in terms of um, uh, the um, uh, every single action, um, there are some studies, for example, on sending emails, uploading a video, or something like that. All these kind of actions, um, they actually have data centers in, your, in the background running, operating to print code, for example, a video into a format, um, so that you can download it on um, all different types of resolutions. And um, all this, of course, is, um, um, yeah, I would say um, almost inevitable in, in the meantime, right? And um, it's not about like, well, how can we like go back to the stone ages? We need to live with this technology. We need to basically um, try to make the best out of it. And um, uh, although like people, for example, look at um, uh, like um, generative AI as something like, okay, I can use some chip to be key maybe to do my homework. Right? It's uh, not as trivial as that. Uh, there are corporations out there, for example, they use um, Gen AI uh, uh, to, for example, find um, cures for cancer and um, other illnesses. 
where I'm, um, for example, taking to simulations and trying to find like a uh, like a lock to a key, a very special protein uh, which exactly matches in certain properties uh, to cure illnesses. And these kind of um, applications are very very exciting. Um, these applications require a lot of processing power. Uh, so this will with our whole way. Should we leverage on the new technology? But how can we use this technology sustainably? That's um, what we hope to contribute a little bit um, in terms of um, uh, using, for example, cooling. 100%. And thank you for adding this, uh, Carwing. You know, yeah, exactly. ChatGPT, guys, maybe you see it as a game and you play to generate some uh, text, but it's something more complex than this. And each actually time you press the enter button, there's a lot of compute power, which is needs cooling as well that happens. Carwin, thank you very much for, for being on the show. I'll make sure that I'll put the company website uh, in, in the description notes. And for the audience, as usual, you know, this is how we end uh, each episode. Thank you for the feedbacks. I'm pretty happy to, to hear, you know, that you are enjoying all the episodes. Keep them coming. If you are interested to be also on the show, don't hesitate to reach out to me. We can arrange for that. And as usual, thank you very much for tuning in today and we'll meet again very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Hit that subscribe button. Share the show with your tech-savvy friends and fellow entrepreneurs and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Your support means the world to us.